the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, how do we cut through all the noise and the information out there? And then we're joined by Esther Eaton, education reporter for World Magazine. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, we do want to touch on what's going on in Afghanistan again today. I feel like we spent a lot of time on it mm-hmm. yesterday, and uh, there are new parts of the story, but there's not. It's really hard to watch. At least I saw this morning that uh, that American troops have kind of secured the airport, and, and it looks like more and more people are going to get out, right? That's We're good. kind of praying for news. that. Yeah. Crossing our fingers. But the stories you hear about Christians, about women, about uh, trans, all these people, it's horrific. And so yes, uh, I don't know. Nightmare. I just wanted to, again, remind people, right? Be praying. Be praying be for praying. the church and yep. just be praying for the people of Afghanistan, right? Yep. There you go. All right. Here's where I want to start. I saw this story the other day, uh, a news report. And before some of you, you're going to see this story and some of you are going to get all riled up because it's somebody whose husband is in the ICU because they decided not to get vaccinated. He got COVID. It's kind of one of those stories you see that is, I would say, being used in order to help people uh, push people towards Mm. the vaccine. Okay. Okay. I've been vaccinated. You're going to talk later about you've been like ultra vaccinated, (laughs) super vaccinated. (laughs) Uh, But I also understand people who aren't. So that's not the point of of what I want to play for you. I instead want you to hear what this lady, her name is Mindy Green from Provo, Utah. What she talks about, she has these regrets right now about not getting vaccinated. Uh, uh, It makes sense that she does. Her husband has been in the ICU for the last month fighting for his life. Uh, but I want you to hear a little bit first why they didn't get vaccinated and the struggle of it and what they see going on. Let's listen to this news report. I do believe that it's really hard to get an answer when the noise around you is so loud. Noise from what she now says are bogus online studies or so-called experts that skewed her view of the disease. Still, on July 1st, she was mad. Her husband had some strong words for her. My husband told me, you need to have faith that Jesus Christ still lives and miracles still happen or I won't make it out of this alive. So she begrudgingly pushed forward with faith. I can tell you now that he was right that day. And that's the message she hopes to share as she sits another day exhausted in the hospital. She now says even as her family struggles, she watches daily miracles that are keeping her husband alive. I still have those moments of peace where I know he's going to be okay. Her message of courage and faith has been far-reaching. Last week, she interviewed with the New York Times. The story featuring a family with remorse over not getting the vaccine. She's been flooded with messages of hope and prayers. All right, Aubrey, what I found really fascinating uh, in this part is that she said, 
Uh, it was that one phrase. She says, mm. it's hard to know what be- to believe, quote, because all of the noise. Mm. And in other parts, she talks about reading things on Facebook and hearing things from family members and mm. reading very specific things, uh, anti-vaccine in, in her case, mm. uh, and praying about things, but talking to people yeah. in their church and that idea of all the noise. I, I feel like you could almost take 2020, 2021, and, yeah. and just our culture right now. And it, and that three-word description is perfect for it, all the noise. And, and I mm. guess I want to ask you, how? let's answer her question. How do you know what to believe with Gosh. all the noise around us right now? Isn't that such an important question to be asking? And I think it is a difficult question because the reality is there is so much of it. And it, I don't know, I almost wonder what 2020 and 2021 would look like without social media. Like where yeah. would we be getting our information and how different would things be uh, occurring? But anyway, I, you know, this is a hard question to answer. I, I think for me, I don't think it's a good idea to get any news or science from Facebook. Because mm-hmm. mostly that's people sharing their opinions. And I share my opinions on Facebook too. That's what it's for. I think this is when you need to go to the experts in your community, call your local doctor, mm. um, call some uh, people that you trust in your church, um, go to the CDC and find out what they're saying since they actually are uh, you know, doing the science behind things like the vaccine. And I know this isn't just a vaccine conversation we're happening Mm-mm. All the noise around us, I think this is, you and I talk about this a lot, like, I don't know if it's an antidote, but I certainly think it's important to have a lot of these conversations with your community, with your uh, friends, with your neighbors, with your church community, and um, get an idea of how people are making decisions. Yeah. Um, And then I, I, I think the other thing, we've talked about this before, don't be in echo chambers. So get outside of your bubble and try to find news and information outside of it just to maybe help you get some perspective. It may not, you know, that's going to be maybe partisan, but at least it'll give you a greater perspective to compare and contrast. That's right. And then I do think it's really, two things are really, really important. Um, we do have the spirit of God in us as Christians. Mm, and so mm-hmm. get away like Jesus did in Mark chapter one, go and be alone with God. Pray, 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 listen to the Holy spirit, trust what the spirit of God is saying and obey the Lord. And then I think I said this before, but just to repeat, talk to your primary doctor about mm-hmm. medical stuff. You're, you shouldn't be talking to someone who's not a doctor about medicine. Talk to a doctor. Yeah, I, that's especially I, your doctor, not a random doctor, your doctor. Okay, your go doctor ahead. That, your doctor that you've put your trust in with other yes. things, right? When yes. you go get a physical, who is it yes. you go see this other things? I, I think you make a lot of really good points there. I think Facebook and Twitter and them are terrible places to get your uh, expert analysis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I might love a family member very much, but I don't need to trust their ideas on X, Y, or Z, right? right? Like, right. I, I, I don't need to go down that road. And I do think we're living in a time that we have to uh, intentionally cut out a lot of the noise and and zero in on, okay, this is who I'm going to believe. Like, every morning I told I tell you, I, I watch the Today Show. It's kind of like my thing. I wake up, yeah. kind of sit, watch the first kind of segment of the Today Show, the first 15 minutes. I'll be honest, if you watch only the Today Show right now, you would think that we are all going to get COVID and die. Mm. (laughs) So this swings both ways. This doesn't just swing with the conservative uh, guy on Facebook posting anti-vaccine stuff. It kind of swings both ways. That's true. And I think think it becomes important for us to read across 
across a wide spectrum, I think you make a great point to go to your doctor. Yeah. Not the doctor who's going to agree with kind of necessarily what you're thinking right now, but go to your doctor. Maybe you've got a doctor in your church, maybe somebody else, and make these conversations, like you said, make these decisions uh, prayerfully and also in community, getting with the people that you know and trust before COVID, right? Before any of this stuff. Yeah. Because there yeah. is these echo chambers get us. It just, it makes me so sad. This lady's husband is in. Uh, is in the ICU and she's just super regretful because mm. she quote unquote didn't know how to break through all the noise. It is. And, and I think we need to work really hard to break through the noise. Well, coming up next, we're excited to be joined by Esther Eaton, education reporter for World. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about schools and the mask debate, post-COVID classrooms, the results of homeschooling and all sorts of other conversations around education with Esther Eaton next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. And as Aubrey and I have talked about, we both have kids going back to school or going back to school in the coming weeks. And there's so much conversation out there about masks in school and what do post-COVID classrooms look like. And everybody's got opinions. And so we thought we would talk to someone who's done some reporting on that. And with that in mind, Aubrey and I are thrilled to welcome to the show Esther Eaton. Esther is an education reporter for World Magazine. Esther, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like you said, I uh, report on education for World, so this is what I think about all day, every day. Uh, I'm from Virginia. I've got a couple parakeets that I always talk to about my work, so they also know a lot about education. Awesome, That's awesome. awesome. Esther, um, obviously, we all know that due to COVID, the way kids went to school completely changed last year. Most schools have started up or are about to start up in the next week or so. What does school look like for kids this year? And does it vary across the country? It definitely does vary across the country. It varies from state to state, from district to district, sometimes even from school to school. Uh Overall, though, it looks closer to normal than last year. So, mm -hmm. so far, students are much less likely to be fully or even partly online. Uh, a few are hybrid, so they're kind of going back and forth. But mostly, kids are going to be back in person. But of course, some things are still different. So, kids are still wearing masks in a lot of places, uh, social distancing. And then there's, you know, contact tracing and quarantines if, if COVID cases happen. Um, and those still have the potential to knock kids out of school for a bit. Uh, and a, a lot of larger districts are also still offering online school if kids do prefer that. So, yeah, so definitely what it's going to look like depends on where you go to school, mm -hmm. but a little closer to normal than last year. Yeah. And you wrote a, a fascinating article called Post-COVID Classrooms. Like, like what is kind of the point of the article is what has changed post-COVID that may last uh, forever? And in that article, you talk about three uh, institutions that look different after a year uh, of pandemic learning. So I just love to know your reporting. Would you share about those schools and 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 what has changed and what's unique about them? Well, the first one I visited is called uh, Southern Nevada Urban Micro Academy. It's in Las Vegas. And what's different about it because of COVID is that it exists. Uh, this school started mm -hmm. because kids were struggling in online learning. And so 
it kind of started out as a way for them to get some supervision and help. And it is a partnership between the city and a nonprofit where kids come in. It's computer-based learning. So the computers assign lessons, the kids set goals, and the teachers help them with that and then supplement with other lessons. Mm. And so this school uh, didn't even exist before COVID and is now going to continue because parents and kids have liked it so well. Mm. So that's definitely a change because yeah, of COVID. Interesting. Uh, the next... Yeah. The the next school I visited was pretty nearby. It's called the Girls Athletic Leadership School. And it's a new charter school that's focused on, well, girls and leadership, uh, as well as integrating movement into learning. So getting kids' bodies involved. Uh, so they might do a dance to learn a math concept, mm. for example. And COVID limited some of that this year. There's only so much running around you want to do when you're wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. But uh, they're hoping to expand next year and or I suppose this year now. Uh, and eventually when they take the masks off, I think they will not be keeping some of those changes. Mm -hmm. And then the last school I visited was in St. Louis, Missouri. It's called Central Christian School. It's a more established school than the first two. And that was interesting because this school had already the way that it's done things for years. And it's a very typical school. It's jam-packed with kids' drawings and backpacks and writing assignments. And the things that got added were little rolling carts of medical supplies mm. and portable sinks. And the librarian and music teacher went from room to room instead of kids coming to them. And I think what that school will try to keep is the uh, intentional communication that happened with parents. They had to strengthen those bonds to make this COVID year work. And they definitely want to carry that forward. Oh, it's so mm -hmm. interesting to hear what different schools and uh, are doing and some of the creativity that's being born because of the pandemic. I wonder, in your perspective, yeah. what are some of the benefits of the changes that schools have made? And uh, I mean, this is maybe guesswork, but do you think many of the schools are going to continue with some of the modifications that they made? because of COVID? Yeah, it, it is guesswork. And I, it's guesswork for the schools themselves at this point. Obviously, some of the things like masks or social distancing, schools are pretty eager to get rid of. But other things like integrating more online tools, um, they, they mostly don't want to be primarily online, mm -hmm. but they are thinking about ways that they can use online learning in their classrooms to supplement what they're doing um, and give them a boost. And I think that's useful. One thing that Central Christian is going to is hoping to continue doing is uh, zooming their chapel services so that grandparents who are out of town or parents on business trips can still attend uh, post COVID. And that's something that they didn't do before. Yeah. As, as you talk to teachers and administrators, uh, I've got friends who are teachers, so I, I know how they're doing. But kind of generally, when you go to these schools or you talk to people, how are teachers doing? Are they uh, scared for their safety? Mm -hmm. Are they like, I just can't wait till things are normal and we don't have these masks again? What's kind of the prevailing things you're hearing from teachers? It definitely depends on the teacher and it depends mm -hmm. on the area, how much COVID there is in the area. So it's it's hard to make a generalization. I think in general, teachers are not thrilled with masks and social distancing, that's all pretty inconvenient and annoying. Um, but depending on the teacher, they either feel that that's really necessary to keep them safe or they're just frustrated that it's still sticking around. Mm -hmm. um, another question for you, Esther, and thanks for answering all these. It's been so interesting to hear some of your learning. A lot of parents and even grandparents uh, homeschooled over the past year in the pandemic. I wonder if you have any insight on how they were, even just relationally, like how did that change family dynamics? One thing that I heard was just 
strengthening of relationships. Uh, if you if you spend if you're spending a lot more time with your kid teaching them, uh, you're going to have to dig in. And so I think some were kind of surprised by that, by how much they might enjoy that. Another thing that surprised them is just the simple fact that they could do it. I think a mm. lot of parents and grandparents felt like teaching their kids was impossible and scary. And they discovered that actually they can pull it off mm. uh, and that, that that was kind of empowering. And so even folks who are headed right back to their old school methods are feeling like they want to be more involved in their kids' education uh, in a variety of ways. And so that's that's pretty exciting to see. Yeah. Do you think uh, as we close out this this part, do you think that uh, homeschooling is going to continue to increase or is this kind of a bump due to COVID right now? It's definitely a COVID bump. We're not going to have all those people stick with it. But I do think that there will be a uh, a bit larger growth thanks to this year. People who just never thought to try it and now discover that they like it. Yeah. Again, Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by Esther Eaton, uh, an education reporter for World Magazine. You can contact her at EstherJ10 on Twitter. You co-wrote an article with another author by the name of Lauren Dunn called The Great School Mask Debate. I'd encourage people to go check that out. Uh, let's ask the $64,000 question. As you've done reporting and talked to people, why do you think there are such strong opinions? I would say increasingly strong opinions right now about kids wearing masks at school. I think because... Parents are very naturally very passionate about their kids' health and their kids' learning. And, of course, teachers and other staff are also very passionate about uh, their health and the kids. And so there are a lot of strong emotions, very reasonably. I think um, there's kind of two main arguments sort of for or against masks. One for is, of course, the health benefits. Um, people want their kids to stay in school and COVID spreading will at least quarantine their kids. So they don't want that to happen. So they want them to wear masks and, of course, to uh, keep people safe and alive. Uh, but parents are also worried that masks can hinder uh, social emotional learning. So mm -hmm. seeing teachers expressions or something as foundational as seeing a teacher teaching students how to pronounce a letter on the page the shape of their mouth matters. Mm. And with a mask on, it's hard to see that. And so they're worried about that. It's so interesting to me as a parent, all of our kids are in schools where they are wearing masks. And I, I guess I'm just wondering, this is an opinion question more than anything, Esther, but how would you advise parents to think about this conversation? I would advise parents to just take stock of what they've seen in their kid so far, they kind of have a year under their belts. Mm. Have they seen uh, problems arising from wearing masks or from not wearing masks? Take a look at the health concerns. And then I would advise parents to value their community as well. Mm. So mm. maintaining relationships, even with people that they disagree with and how they can do that in a way that is healthy for their family and for the people that they go to school and live near. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's amazing how <laughs> Aubrey and I are both pastors and, and we hear about this in churches all the time and this idea of, of masks. Do you get any sense that masks are going to stick around, uh, beyond COVID? Like, do, do you sense when you talk to administrators or teachers, they're like, you know what? I think kids are going to be in masks for good. Like, this is where we're going. Or do you still feel like this is just a COVID thing? 
I still feel like this is just a COVID thing. I think some people might choose to wear masks when they travel or or they're in a big public place just to save themselves a cold in future. But I do not think that they'll stick around in schools, if I had to guess. And kind of along with that question, Esther, do you think school will ever be... Um, mostly or entirely online? And I guess maybe a bigger question, what do you think education looks like in the future? If I had to guess, I would say school will not be mostly online, especially for younger kids, uh, because there is a lot of value in being around peers and being around the teachers and adults that are in a school. But I do think that uh, that online will become a bigger part of school. Mm. Uh, one thing, I also spoke to a lot of colleges this year, and they were forced to try it, and they discovered that there are some things that work. And so I think we'll see more integration of the two. Yeah, I'd love to hear your your thoughts about college. As I said in your bio, you went to Liberty. Uh, both Aubrey and I went to Wheaton College out this way. And mm. so much of the Liberty experience, the Wheaton experience, and other things is communal, right? It's all about sitting in the dining hall together, sitting in class together, the dorm room. And, and so much of that was lost last year. Uh, do you think do you, do you see in your reporting colleges getting back to that or does, is the college experience just different now? Colleges were definitely hoping to return in many ways to normal this fall. The, the Delta variant has thrown a wrench in that because it's just cases are spreading faster than they thought they would be. Mm. And so they're having to, you know, walk back some of that. But I do think that college will be much more back to normal this year. Um, there may still be masking and distancing and all of that. But in terms of common spaces being open, students getting to hang out, a lot of that has gone much closer to normal. I want to dive in a little bit more to the article we referenced before, the great school mask debate, which you wrote with Lauren Dunn. And um, if people are looking for that article, you can go to world, which is WNG.org. Esther, what made you decide to even write this article? Well, it's such a hot topic right now uh, that, you know, it would have been a little silly to just ignore this raging debate. Um, and uh, Lauren and I wanted to take stock of the national situation um, and and look at sort of the ebbs and flows of the the battle lines on this, so to speak. Um, and as as states are banning mask mandates in schools, and then some districts are flouting those bans, it's also just an interesting legal question um, for those districts. Like, what is their responsibility to their students and to their state government? Uh, so it, it's fascinating, and it's also crucial because it's going to be just such a basic fact of life for kids this year, it's going to alter their day-to-day -day experience, mm -hmm. whether they're wearing a mask or not. Yeah. And something we see so often on TV right now, it seems like every day, right, you turn on the news and there's that clip of people going crazy at a school board meeting, parents, mm -hmm. whoever else. It's the, the, the school board meeting right now seems to be the epicenter of people just sharing their frustrations. And uh, I, I guess specifically for a Christian, Esther, what would you say to parents right now uh, how can we disagree about these things in schools, but still uh, be civil about it, still be good people, still be good Christians about it? What would you say as you see the landscape of, of how hot this great mask debate is right now? I think as Christians, as always, the simple truth is that while these questions are important and they matter and they're 
how they get decided will impact us. We need to remember that our hope is not in how these questions get answered and our our destiny, our security is in Christ. And that's not going to change um, regardless of who's wearing a mask or exactly what gets said or taught. And so that security allows us to come to these conversations uh, much more at peace. It's not an existential threat. Um, it's important and we need to talk through it, but we can talk through it in love, remembering yeah. that these are also people made in the image of God who he loves. That's good. That's good. Esther, before we let you go, uh, really grateful for the time you've spent with us. Where can people read your things? Point them to a website, maybe social media where you're at. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, you mentioned my Twitter handle earlier. That's at EsterJ10. You'll find all my articles there, or you can also check out World's website at WNG.org. Great. Esther Eaton is an education reporter for World Magazine. Uh, Again, connect with her at Esther J10 and go go to World's website. You can find all these articles we've discussed, the great school mask debate, post-COVID classrooms and the like. Such a big topic right now mm-hmm. as kids are heading back to school. Esther, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. It's a big day for some people today. It is uh, the the return at Dunkin' Donuts and soon to be this week at Starbucks of pumpkin spice. All things pumpkin. Oh, my. That seems early. Well, that seems to be what people are upset about Ah, is the idea That that we are still in the midst of the summer and pumpkin yes. is coming back. I, I laughed really hard about this topic while watching the Today Show this morning. Our friend Al Roker uh, had had some things to say about this. Listen to this. Love it or despise it. Starting today, pumpkin spice is back earlier than ever at Duncan, featuring its signature latte, as well as a new pumpkin cream cold brew. Meantime, the fall menu at Starbucks is expected to debut next week. And not to be outdone, Starbucks released its new at-home pumpkin products earlier this month. Great. People, it is still summer. Oh, my gosh. Let's go to Angry Man on this. I just, what is the point? First of all, there's no pumpkin in it. There's no spice. There's berry a latte. Stop it. Stop it. You don't dig it? I hate it. And a lot of America hates it, too. How how many of you in here hate it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The whole crew is revolting. In fact, pumpkin spice is revolting. We have an uprising on our hands. I'm going to just have a a regular black coffee. Get wired up again. Maybe decaf. No, I don't think so. I'm angry. Thank you, Al. All right, so Al Roker has some, (laughs) he's got some thoughts on this. Aubrey Sampson, fan or not a fan of all things pumpkin? I do not like a pumpkin spice latte at all. I honestly, I know that's an unpopular opinion, but they make my stomach hurt. They're way too sweet. I think they're kind of gross, like sickly sweet. I like pumpkin spice muffins or breads. But throwing it into a latte is way too intense for me. And I think it's too soon. I like I want to see that in I guess I could go late September, but October really is the time when that comes. What do you think about this? Uh, I dislike all things pumpkin all year long. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Uh, I had an argument with my brother-in-law who loves pumpkin pie. I hate pumpkin pie. We decided oh, okay. to either love or hate pumpkin pie. Yeah, I like pumpkin uh, pie. Yeah. And so all of this stuff bothered me. Like, I like the fall, like the weather cooling down. Absolutely. And, and this and that. But no, this feels ridiculously early. Uh, I don't even like carving pumpkins. And so... Uh, <laughs> Wow, that's a hot take right there. That's a spicy take. <laughs> pumpkin spice take. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even like it. If we had a top five list right now of flavors we do not enjoy in food or drinks, pumpkin would probably be number, my number one. We might need to add that to our list, our top five, our top five list. What do you um, think would come on at the top of your I dislike I don't, list? I don't like anything cherry. I don't like cherry what? pie or cherries on my ice cream or cherries in general. I don't like cherry. You know, this is your thing with grapes. It reminds me of cough medicine. I think my mom gave me cherry flavored cough medicine and your mom must have given you grape flavored cough medicine because I can't do anything cherry without thinking of cough medicine and you can't do grape flavored things. That's true. Aubrey, you and I, with each top five list, we've decided that you and I are super different. And that either makes the show that either makes the show good or it's gonna be our (laughs) downfall someday. (laughs) One day Uh, we're gonna get in a really big fight over the top five list and just it ends the show. My number one favorite pie, bar none in the world, is cherry pie. No, are you kidding? If when we go out for ice cream, I always get black cherry ice cream. Gross. so I do you remember I, you saying that on your when we did top five ice cream, and I thought it that was disgusting. You and yeah. I are very different. We are learning yeah. stuff again here. Okay, yeah, it makes it Good makes times. it very more well rounded. I agree. Uh, well, I agree. Job. Okay, well, if you all like pumpkin out there, you're wrong, and that's where <laughs> we are going to leave uh, this discussion. Hey, I wanted to ask you one other thing from the show we did yesterday. We had. Uh, Colin Hansen on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking about his uh, book and his idea that uh, that he wrote with Jonathan Lehman um, about th- that virtual church can't be a thing. Essentially, yeah. like we yeah. we need to get back to gathering in church as best we can, and that uh, you're going to be hurt spiritually. That basically the premise of this book and his New York Times opinion piece is that if you remain virtual with your church. Uh, or you don't go back, you don't reconnect in community, it is going to be to your spiritual detriment. I was having that talk with someone the other day or yesterday again, uh, and they were pushing back on that a little bit. They, they really? kind of, yeah, they were uh, not disagreeing, but just kind of like, is it really that big a deal? Is mm. it, you know, is it that big a deal? And I guess I was like, show topic, we're back. And so there we go, um, full circle. Somebody from your church comes up to you, Aubrey, and says, I just don't think it's actually that big a deal. As long as I'm sitting under the teaching of the word, as long as I am connecting with people, but kind of on my own time, it doesn't necessarily need to be in a building on Sunday morning or even in an organized group or whatever else. As long as I'm connecting with other believers, does it really matter that much? What would you say to that when when your church member says, Pastor Aubrey, explain to me why I tend to disagree with you? Yeah, I mean, I I think, one, I agree that it doesn't necessarily have to be on Sunday morning in a building. Sure, I think that's fair. But I do believe that we've been told by Jesus and the Apostle Paul that when we gather together, there are certain things we're supposed to do together. Reading of the word, breaking of the bread, baptisms, uh, the Lord's Supper. Those things cannot happen on your own in front of a TV. Mm. And so I, I think the reality is, 
we like we're called the body of Christ. Literally, it's an embodied faith, which means Mm. we need to be together to spur one another on to practice the sacraments and to do the Christian life together. And so I I think Colin Hansen is absolutely correct. Now, does that mean you can't watch a sermon online uh, throughout your week? Right. Go for it. If that encourages you spiritually, I mean, I walk on the treadmill and I watch some of my favorite preachers. Like, do that. That is good for your soul. That cannot replace being part of a body of believers. And part of it is we are called on mission, on purpose, placed in our neighborhoods in order to share the love of Jesus there. We can't do that if we're hiding in our houses. We do that yeah. with other believers who we're worshiping God and following God with. That's good. That's good. I think that answers the question. Well, I think something us evangelicals tend not to focus on are the sacraments, right? And right. the uh, the taking of uh, you know communion together, the, the being together as the body of Christ. A great answer. I thought that was interesting after our discussion with Colin yesterday. Definitely having to talk with someone who said, "I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with that." Let us close by saying that was a huge pastor flex on your part. I walk on the treadmill listening to my favorite preachers. <laughs> Why? Thank you. Why? Thank you. And it's true. I'm not making that up. That is a true thing I do. Uh, you know, when I'm on the treadmill reading the book of Leviticus by <laughs> <laughs> Well, either that or I'm listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. There, so. you, go. there <laughs> you go. That was outstanding. Coming up next, as I said, Aubrey is super vaccinated. We're going to talk yep. about COVID-19. We're going to talk about vaccines, talking about the Pope. All of it coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, how can we talk to friends and family members who are hesitant about getting the vaccine? And then, how can we be non-anxious people in the face of criticism? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday afternoon. As Brian likes to say, hope day. It's hope day. There it is. So glad that you're with us. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And, you know, we've talked quite a bit uh, in the past several months about the vaccine, about COVID. I mean, that's just a reality I think we don't always want to talk about. But it is certainly in the news again. That's right. And... You know, I, we've been kind of making jokes, Brian, about the fact that I am super vaccinated. You are super vaccinated. Tell us I about am that. Super vaccinated. Well, okay. I think I've said this on the show before, so I don't think this is news, but I have an autoimmune disease. And because mm-hmm. of that, I am on immunosuppressant drugs. And the CDC recommended anyone that's on the meds that I'm on and have the disease that I have should get a third booster. And I talked to my doctor, my rheumatologist, just to make sure, like, is that the right move? And she said, yes. And so I walked into Walgreens yesterday. I got that third booster. And I was like, oh, man, I am super (laughs) vaccinated. I will say part of it is we were just in Florida where, like, the Delta variant is everywhere. So I'm a little, like, hedging my bets, hoping hoping that the third booster helps out with that. Um, but I am officially super vaccinated. I don't feel that great today. I'll be honest with you. I am in a lot of pain. Like I don't really, you didn't didn't have any side effects from the vaccine, right? To the, to the, I had such little side effects. 
by by little I mean none. That I, I it actually made me wonder: Did they actually vaccinate me? <laughs> did that work? <laughs> like, did, they, did they just did put they olive oil into my body? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> did I just get like saline shots or whatever? No, I had. I had especially after the second one, where everyone's like, "You're going to be down." I I felt completely fine. My arm didn't even hurt. So that was a wow. Kind of wow. Yeah. Well, but my you arm are hurts. super vaccinated. My, my body is in quite a bit of pain today, but I remember this before it, it kind of caused my, my disease to flare up. So I think that's what's oh. happening now, but hopefully that means it's working and my body's fighting back and it doesn't mean I'm going to grow a tail or something like that. <laughs> but we'll see. But anyway, it got, it got me thinking about how can we talk to friends and family members who are hesitant about getting the COVID-19 vaccine. There's a lot in the news right now. The Pope, Pope Francis, uh, as part of a big ad campaign, is calling everyone um, in America, especially Catholics, to get the vaccine. He's calling it an act of love. He says vaccination is a simple but profound way of promoting, get this, Brian, the common good. He's a listener. Yeah. And prepare and caring for each other, especially the most vulnerable. He says, I pray to God that everyone may contribute their own small grain of sand, their own small gesture of love by getting the vaccine news came out that the Atlanta Falcons are the first NFL team to vaccinate all of its players. There's a lot happening with the vaccine. So right. how do we talk to people who are hesitant about it? And I think maybe the question is, is our goal to encourage people to get it? Or is that not a good goal? I think I'm a little torn mm-hmm. on this. What mm-hmm. do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people out there who would say it is the goal to get mm-hmm. people vaccinated. I also think there's people out there who think it's the goal to stop people from being yeah, vaccinated. Like right. Then I, I do not believe that either way. I, I'm, um, I'll gladly have the conversation with people. If people want to know why I got vaccinated, uh, then I'm glad to have that conversation. Uh, glad to just kind of wrestle with it. But in the end, I do, and I keep saying this like a broke record, and I think what saying this makes people mad. I do understand people who don't get vaccinated. I I wasn't Mm -hmm. willing to take that risk in my own life, um, but I get it. And for that reason, I don't find it. I don't feel like I need to be an evangelist for the vaccine. I think everybody's got the information out there. I want to kind of have a level-headed conversation that says, hey, I don't think that you're an evil person or a dumb person or you're a misguided person. If you've wrestled with this as a family and 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 come to this conclusion, I I don't have a lot of energy right now for the people on both ends of the spectrum who are like you know, mm. if you don't get vaccinated, then you hate all kids and all you you, yeah. you want to kill grandma and this that. Or on the <laughs> other side of people who are like, if you do get vaccinated, you are just a government person and mm. you're taking the mark of the beast or whatever mm. else it might be. I think both of those people are are. I want to shut them out of my life. I want to take both of them and be able to have more nuanced conversations with people that just says, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's, let's wrestle with this and, and uh, be able to be friends in the end after having that conversation. Yeah, there's an interesting article at MIT, literally called How to Talk to Vaccine Hesitant People. And one of the things that they bring up, which I think is actually a very helpful point, is that not all unvaccinated folks are anti-vaxxers. That's right. And then it says kindness and non-judgmentalism, which I think is what you're talking about ultimately, Brian, will get Mm -hmm. you far when talking to them. And um, some of the statistics here say that um, as of June 2021, about 14% of U.S. adults say they would definitely not 
get the vaccine, but many people are in a movable camp. Like they're just waiting to see. They want to see how the vaccine affects other people. I know I'm in grad school with a lot of um, younger generation women and they want to have babies and they're concerned that this may impact that. And so they're waiting for some of that to come out, um, that information to come out. And so I I think, like you said, um, and this article says this as well, we need to check our biases at the door and not assume that people who are unvaccinated are like part of conspiracy theorists and they're all conservative and they're all, you know, up in arms about religious institutions being threatened or whatever. And on the other side, a common error uh, is not to assume that all people who have gotten vaccinated are, I don't know, woke or or for Mm -hmm. the government or or whatever. I, I think let's remember that people are complicated (laughs) Getting the vaccine is a personal decision, but it's also a communal decision. And so we can be civil to one another, even if we're frustrated, disagree, et cetera. And not everyone needs to get the three doses of the vaccine like I (laughs) got. You're just going to keep going. Three per (laughs) arm. You know, I I think it's a great point to say uh, we we love to categorize people right now. Mm, Well, if you didn't get the vaccine, then you're this, you're this, you're this. If you did get the vaccine, then you're this, you're this, you're this. Uh, and that makes us, um, you know, uh, kind of against each other, just like in our politics. And like you, we do have to remember that this vaccine was rushed. It was, uh, miraculously so, but for some people that's enough to go, Hey, I, I just, it makes me uncomfortable. You know, for me, it was just like, I want to get back to normal life as much as possible. The people I've talked to who would know these types of things uh, are are encouraging me to do so. Like, I, I talk to the people that I trust in my life. Yeah. But, but, we, but we've got to show grace with each other within our churches, uh, online, within our families. We don't do that well as a culture, show mm. grace to one another. Yeah. Um, and we just need to do a better job at that. And I think Christians can lead the way having passion about things like vaccines and masks and other things, but doing it in a graceful way in which we show each other love instead of looking down on one another and just preaching at each other all the time. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. And I think the lesson in all of this is that Pope Francis listens to the common good. (laughs) (laughs) And therefore, you should too. Have I ever told you the story that we had started our show uh, Ian and I doing the show. And in the first month that our show existed, uh, President Trump did his State of the Union address and he got up and he he said, uh, and we're all for the common good. <laughs> <laughs> we used that re- recording for weeks. It was great. That is amazing. I I love it. I love we should make that our ringtone or our yes. something for the show. Well, anyway, we hope that gives you some things to think about as you're deciding whether to get the third vaccine or even the first vaccine, or if you're deciding not to get the vaccine. We hope that you can um, have some civility, kindness, grace with one another in the middle of this crazy, crazy time. Stick around. We're going to talk about how to be non-anxious people when we are faced with criticism. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad to have you with us. We've talked a little bit about this before, that you and I are in the people pleaser category. Yeah, like tend to, to know, for sure. 
We like to know where we stand with people. We like to get positive feedback. I think most people do, if they're being honest. When you are dealing with criticism, which happens in church leadership all the time, by the way, but it happens in other roles as well. You don't have to be a church leader to know what it is to experience Like a radio host. It also happens there. (laughs) (laughs) Happens in the studio. That's right. Uh, How do you tend to respond in criticism? To criticism. Yeah. So, uh, and it's interesting. I, I We do keep coming back to this topic because I think it's so important. I talked about this from an article last week while you were gone. Uh, there was an article of church leaders called How to Be a Non-Anxious Presence in the Face of Criticism. I think I personally, Aubrey, um, don't do it well. Uh, mm. I, I take criticism and praise way too personally. Mm. So, uh, which is a weird thing within a church setting, especially a church kind of my size where it, I started it and, um, you know, there's not this huge staff, everything kind right. of filters through me a right. little bit. Right. So therefore it, it, I've always struggled with, uh, anything anybody says the good about the church is a, is a badge of honor for me. And anything, anything, anybody says bad about the church is a, uh, is a knock on me. Uh, I, I struggle yeah. with differentiating those things. And so therefore I wear criticism uh, really um, deeply. Like I, I, it affects me uh, yeah. probably in ways that it shouldn't. And so some of the things I have done some things to try to counteract that in my life a little bit. One is, and probably the biggest thing is to have the people that I know I can trust in my life to talk these things through with. So, oh, Hey, that's good. Somebody said this and, and it's really kind of bothering me and it's, you know, I got this email from person X or mm-hmm. I heard through the grapevine person Y said this or, you know, person Z said this directly to my face. I don't know what to do with this because normally it would just rock me. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. I've got some mentor type people, some other people in ministry, some friends that I can kind of go to with it and just say, hey, help me. Uh, is this legitimate, right? Tim Keller said, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but I'm just going to paraphrase. He basically said, you should never just discard criticism because there's always some mm. truth in it. Wow. Even if it's good. not, even if it's not even said in a, uh, in a nice way, even if it's not even said with grace, yeah. still examine it, still kind of go over it. What can you learn from it? It's good. Uh, but I can go the other way and then just dwell on it. So helping, I, I need people yeah. in my life who will help me process it, help me learn from it, and then help me also remember maybe what I do well and what's not my responsibility. So that's kind of how I deal with criticism. Now, again, I need to own the fact that I don't deal with it well, uh, but that's kind of how I do. How about yourself? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really, that's interesting to hear. I think I can relate to that. As we've, we've joked about off the air before, uh, Brian, even if people aren't criticizing me, mm-hmm. I tend to think they are. Like I maybe have a little bit of paranoia or a like, um, uh, I negatively interpret things a lot. So <laughs> yes. this is, I mean, I'm just going to be really real with the people and my poor husband has to live with this. But let's say, I mean, this is a terrible example because I'm thinking off the cuff here. But let's say it's something like, oh, are we out of paper towels? Like Kevin makes that statement. Are we out of paper towels? <laughs> I tend to think he's critiquing me for not having the foresight to buy paper towels and make sure we have them in the house. But he's That's literally awesome. just asking a very benign question and probably doesn't care. Like he has not put that much thought into it. But I, it shows you maybe a little bit my insecurity, but I think also my selfishness that I tend to think like, 
the world revolves around me and what I am yeah. and I'm not doing it. It's really messy. I have to bring it to God often. And sometimes the like you were talking about having trusted people in our lives, I can go to Kevin and I can go, okay, this conversation happened or I got this text message or email. Here's how I'm interpreting it. Am I doing that thing I do? And he'll be like, yep, you are totally That's hearing like that wrong. Doing that thing I do. That's <laughs> you know? So we That's know great. like Aubrey interprets negatively. I need to step back, ask for some perspective and then move forward. And I, but I am with you too. Sometimes I can, I feel like I, once I actually hear criticism correctly, I'm actually good at responding and making changes and yeah. making sure that the person who has criticized me is okay. Like that feels important to me too. But if I'm not careful, it can become about my identity. And then I can mm. kind of go, oh, I'm failing at everything. Oh, I blah, blah, blah. You know, and it it becomes a whole narrative about me instead of like this one area of growth. Which, as we know, we all have areas of growth, that's so right. that's not that's a bad right. thing. I know how does you this talked affect about. You? Oh, go ahead. Yes, you How does this affect you? You're an author. Oh, so you, Brian. You oh, Brian. Your life. You pour a year or whatever into this book, and it's not like yes. you can change it. If someone says, nope. uh, "This is," it's not like you can change nope. it. You, you. It's interesting to hear you struggle with criticism and then do something like write a book. <laughs> in which I mean, yes. It's not like you can quickly write another book. You know, nope. and it's just kind of out there. What is it like? You're about to release your next book. Yes. Uh, how much of that is joy and how much of that is just like, uh, I hope, you know, what are people going to say about this? Talk to me about that. Oh, I, yeah. This is like the love and the pain of being a writer. <laughs> it is really, really hard. Now, I, this is my third book. So I would say book one, I was a mess. Book two, maybe a little less of a mess. Book three, mm. I'm just more aware of my mess so I can yeah. kind of go, okay, here I am feeling real vulnerable, really afraid of what people are going to think. Are they going to like it? Are they not going to like it? Okay, Lord, you know all this stuff about me. I'm just going to give that to you and let mm. you take care of it. And so I feel like I, in one sense, I have a healthier perspective, but I am not immune to that. Like I am very aware people might not like it. What if, what if it doesn't meet their needs? What if it doesn't speak to them spiritually? What if it's, you know, like, and then what does that mean for my career? And what does that mean for who I am as a person? <laughs> Again, you know, I can go down that spiral really easily. This time, this book, uh, I'm trying to embrace joy. The gift it is to be able to publish a book with an incredible publisher like Nav Press and Tyndale. The gift it is to have people read the words that God has given me. That's good. Yeah. And and any criticism is room for growth for my next book. Like, oh, okay, this is something I can work on the next time. And the reality is I can't be all things to all people. And right. so there are people who are going to like it. There are people who are not going to like it. There are needs it's going to meet. There are needs it's not going to meet. And it's God's deal. And I think that, but this is, I'm telling you, this is the work I have to do almost daily. And when yeah. I catch myself getting vulnerable or, or anxious about the criticism of the book, I go, okay, God, oops, there it is again. I'm just going to give that to you. I actually have a chapter where I talk about this. I'm just going to give that to you. Trust you're going to take care of it because I can't hold this. It's too much. Yeah, I know in my own life, I'll, the last thing I'll say is this. Yeah. Uh, I need people in my life who even if I'm doing a really bad job as a pastor or on the radio or whatever else, they they don't care. Like they're not going to be critical to me. They're for yeah. me for the yeah. sake of being my friend or this or that. And if I uh, lose this job or that job or fail at this, they're going to be mm. like, hey, I'm still here with you. I like, love you, you can't no matter just, what. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't surround yourself only with people That's right. uh, whose friendship with you might be conditional upon how the church is going or how the whatever else it might be. Yep. I think that's really important to have people – 
to have non-critical affirming voices in your life, I think for me is essential. Yeah, that's a good word. And I'll say one last thing and then we'll close. But I um, I also think it's important. I do this every time I, I uh, release a book and I ask other, I tell other authors to do this. Get people around you that are praying for you because the enemy will take criticism mm. and and those lies or that um, it, sometimes their truth in it, just use it and twist it in a way that is not the way God wants to use it. And so have people praying, doing spiritual warfare around you. Be mindful of it yourself and let God's voice be louder than the enemy's in, in that time of criticism. Yes. All right. Well, coming up, we are going to talk about church culture. That should be an interesting one. Stick around. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We hope you are having a wonderful Wednesday evening. I hope you have some good plans tonight with your family or if your kids are back in school that you're getting all the rest you need and getting all that homework done. That has been quite a transition for us in our house, Brian. My high school son has so much homework already. Oh, really? Yes. Do your kids have Uh, homework yet? So only Madeline's back in school right now. So she's our high schooler. I never know with Madeline because she just does her work on her own. But I did. I did. I don't sense that she has much homework just yet, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe, maybe I'm just a bad parent. <laughs> <laughs> you are. That's that's the lesson here. Brian is a bad parent. No, she's probably a very responsible uh, young woman, and so yes. everything's everything's good. All right. Well, we don't need to talk about homework. I would actually like us to talk about church culture. Mm-hmm. And, we're both pastors, uh, so it's good. We're both pastors. Good for us to talk about. I think most of our listeners are at least part of a church or have been part of a church in their lifetime. And so we all have feelings about church culture. Mm-hmm. There was a tweet by Garrett Kell, who is a pastor. I'm not sure where. I think in Alexandria, Virginia. I think that's right. Um, but he says this, and he's quoting Ray Ortland. He says, a church can unsay by its culture what it says by its doctrine and not even realize it. Mm. What do you think about that? Unpack that for us. There is so much in that short uh, word from Ray Ortland there, uh, because we talk a lot, like part of this is all uh, we think with our churches, all that matters is what we say we believe, right? Mm, but if, yeah. if I get up and preach week after week about God's grace, but our church culture is not reflective at all of grace, Yeah, then that disconnect is going to cause people to not hear uh, what we say we believe because we're not living out. If I'm constantly mm-hmm. getting up and talking about forgiveness, and I am a, as a pastor and as other church leaders, we are unwilling to forgive, you know, like, so, and we could keep spinning this out. We preach that Jesus is for the least, uh, uh, the least of these and the lost. And then we, in our culture, show no acceptance or love yeah, or care yeah. for the least or the lost. We are we are cutting the legs out from our doctrine. I think that's what Ray Ortland's getting at. And and so many of us think it only believes what my doctrinal statement says, right? Like I'm mm. going to go to my website. Yeah. I'm going to read the statement of faith. All right. I, I agree with everything that the church believes. And that's super important. It's super Super important, but the, Absolutely. The, the doctrinal statement, the statement of faith needs to be driving then uh, 
the actual actions of the church. We need to see it manifest within the church. And if the culture doesn't match the doctrine, I think he's right that the culture's always going to win. We see this, Aubrey, in the Mars Hill podcast. Absolutely. I've been obsessed with listening. Yeah. Uh, over time, people said, what I love about the preaching, though, is not matching the leadership and what yeah. we see going on to yeah. kind of an extreme example. I think what becomes hard here, Aubrey, let me put this on your plate. A, how do you define church culture? And B, mm -hmm. how is a church culture even formed? Oh, this is a really, really interesting question. And I think for church planters, and you can testify to this, Brian, like you're kind of talking about church culture from the beginning. What is our church culture going to be? How is that going to distinguish us from other churches? And how is it going to meet the needs of the community that we're in? And, um, you know, <laughs> sometimes I think church culture gets... You can be intentional about church culture. We want our church to be, for instance, at Renewal Church, we talk a lot about the four G's, generosity, growth, good neighboring, and gospel. Okay. Mm. That's our, those are like foundations, pillars of our culture. We call the four G's. Um, but if you're not intentional about that, then culture falls to the wayside because you're busy doing other things. And I, I, I think ultimately the conversation is about churches need to, the way we believe needs to match what we say we believe or the way Correct. we believe is as important as what we believe. And I don't know about you if you agree with this or not, but I feel like in some of the circles I've been, which have primarily been evangelical, more reformed mm -hmm. circles, doctrine has been so, 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 so important. Yes. Almost to the point where if we have the right doctrine, we believe people will come to Christ. We believe doctrine will save people. And I think that's a line, you know, that, uh, certainly doctrine and like orthopraxy are not opposed to one another. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's a line to remember that doctrine, good doctrine is so important. But we have to practice our doctrine. Like we have to be people who are not just preaching the word, but are declaring the word and display, uh, displaying the word and showing the word, loving like Jesus did. Or else people look at the church and see what we've talked about here before, hypocrisy. Um, they see a church like a Mars Hill who maybe isn't uh, matching what they say they are. And that causes so much pain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I think what's really interesting, just to piggyback on that. Uh, who is it that wrote a book entitled Doctrine was was Mark Triscoll uh, within the last oh, wow. 10 years or so. Wow. And now what we're seeing in this podcast is just uh, in some ways his doctrine matched his culture. And that was one of the problems. But in a mm. lot of ways, things he was preaching didn't match the culture within a church, his church. And that's what uh, disillusioned so many people and hurt so many people in the end. And and I think, Aubrey, you make a great point. Like, you can intentionally make a culture. Like, hey, this is who we're going to be. Yeah. You guys have your four Gs, right? Which, by the way, how is there not a fifth G? You started a church right there for you was grape-flavored products. Right there oh, for you was a goodness. fifth G. Wow, I'll uh, have to talk to the elders about adding that one. You're right. It's too You're right. late to add it back in. Yeah, but uh, – <laughs> But you can either intentionally say, this is the culture we are going to cultivate from day one, or you go, you're much more passive about it, but you will still end up with a culture, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Every church has a culture. It's not like, oh, do I want my church to have a – every church, every business, every family has a culture. The question is, does it match what you say mm. uh, you you believe and want to be about? And And when those don't match within churches – 
you get disillusioned people, you get yeah. calls of hypocrisy, you get other things because you're up there. Like I said earlier, you're up there preaching. Um, you know what? Uh, you've been, we've been saved by grace. So therefore we show one another grace. And then you've got a pastor who's a bully or not showing yeah. people grace or yeah. this or that. And people go, well, which is it? Well, clearly it's how you're acting. It's just like if I told my kids, you know what? I believe this. I want to be this kind of dad. But then I'm not mm. at all that kind of dad. They're going to go, well, no, you're that kind. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, Totally. Cu- and that's what Ray Ortland's getting at. Culture, what you actually do is going to trump what you say you believe and what you say. And the best churches are going to be in lockstep, not perfectly, sure. but in lockstep together so that people go, man, I'm understanding the gospel simply by being a part of this culture because it actually is a gospel culture. Yeah, that's good. I, I There's a quote, and I might be misquoting this, so forgive me. I think it's Maya Angelou who said, people will remember how you made them feel mm-hmm. more than they'll remember what you said. And probably I think C.S. That, Lewis. Probably. I mean, let's, <laughs> uh, let's just give all quotes we don't know. We're going to say it's C.S. Lewis, right? But I think that's that's sort of part of this whole conversation, that, that – um, the way we love people has to matter as much as what we're teaching and what we're saying we believe. And both are important. I mean, I don't want anyone to hear Brian and I saying doctrine is not important. Like good doctrine 100%. matters because it does shape culture, does shape belief, does shape lives. But it has to we have to be practicing what we preach. And like you said, not perfectly. None of us are perfect. But by the grace of God, with as much integrity as possible. Absolutely. Well, stick around. We're going to do one of our favorite things to end the show today. That is share some stories from the Good News Network. We love it over there. So we hope you'll come back for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And as you know, we love to end the show by giving you some encouraging stories. It is a hard, hard dark world out there right now, everything that's happening in Afghanistan and Haiti. And we want to be mindful of those things. We want to pray about those things. But we also sometimes I think need an encouragement to know that good things are happening in the world. And so we like to bring you stories from one of our favorite places, the Good News Network, where they just share positive stories, honestly. And uh, we like to pick some of our favorite articles and just kind of unpack them for you. So Brian, I'm gonna let you go first with a Good News Network story. Yeah, goodnewsnetwork.org. There's just so much bad stuff out there right now. And you don't want to ignore the bad things and this, but you could just get so weighed down. I left yesterday's show uh, going, oh, there's so much hard stuff yeah, out there that yeah. sometimes it's a cal- it's a palate cleanser, remembering that people are doing good things out there. Yeah. The first one, trash company finds $25,000 stashed in a discarded freezer and tracks Whoa. down owners to return cold, hard cash. Come on. What I love about the Good News Network is they, they love a good pun. They love, they love a, a good, good pun. pun. Yep. Cold, hard yep, cash yep. in the fridge. Yep. There's a plenty a humorous tale to prove the adage, one man's trash is another man's treasure. But when one Ohio family accidentally threw their grandma's treasure into the trash, it was no laughing matter. Whoa. Unbeknownst to her relatives, the canny granny had stashed <laughs> $25,000 in cold, hard cash in her freezer. While tidying up the kitchen, her erstwhile kinfolk accidentally tossed out the tidy sum along with the outdated frozen veggies. It was only after the fact that the elderly woman remembered to warn her family not to misplace the envelope with the money in it. But by then it was too late. 
The garbage had already been collected and her nest egg was on its way to the city landfill. Frantic, the family reached out to Republic Solid Waste to see if there was any way they could retrieve it. It would all depend, they learned, on whether or not the truck had already arrived at the landfill. Had it dumped it? Uh, luckily, uh, they were able to track down the driver who had yet to make the drop off. The truck was diverted to a nearby recycling center where its six ton cargo of garbage was disorged on the tarmac and the crew of 10 workers immediately began sifting through the mountain of refuse in search of the buried booty. And they did find it in (laughs) record time. It took them only 10 minutes. They found it. And uh, this is the old debate Ian Simpkins and I used to have. If you found this sort of money, <laughs> would you keep it? But that that's a story for another day. Wow. Her nest egg of 25 grand stashed in the freezer was found and returned. Wow. That is that is a good news network story right there. I love that. I am afraid I would keep it, Brian. I would keep it. But I'm they very... didn't have the choice. That wasn't. Yeah. I mean, if you know about. you're looking for it, I think the random finding is maybe a different. Yep. I mean, probably not before God, but in my soul, I have to be honest. What we live by, finders, keepers, losers, (laughs) keepers. That's (laughs) That's right. All right. Here's another one. A boy raises $700,000 for hospice by camping out for 500 nights after a dying man gave him a tent. A serendipitous series of events turned an 11-year-old boy into a stalwart hero after a dying man gave him a tent. Last year, just before the pandemic reached the UK, Max Woozy's parents were helping to care for a neighbor, Rick Abbott, who had terminal cancer. They came to appreciate how vital it was that the local hospice was able to help their neighbor remain in his own home, which was his final wish. Just before he died, Abbott gave Max a gift. This is Max talking. My friend Rick gave me his tent before he died and made me promise to go have an adventure. Max realized that most of the fundraising for the hospice was canceled and services were closed due to COVID-19. And so on March 19th, or 29th, 2020, he began sleeping in his new tent pitched in the backyard, hoping to raise 100 pounds, 100, I'll, I'll change it to US, $100 for the hospice, <laughs> okay? With his plush stuffed animals to keep him cozy. There's a great picture of him with a baby Yoda stuffed animal, by the way. He posted updates on his fundraising page while waiting for the pandemic to be over. As lockdown restrictions dragged on and warm summer nights turned into chilly autumn frost, Max refused to come in from the cold and donations poured in. On October 12th, he wrote, thank you so much for all of the donations. I can't believe how much I have raised. I've decided to camp out for a year to see if I can get to 20,000 pounds. The boy blew past that goal, hitting milestones of 100 consecutive days, then 200 days, then 300 days. His dog Digby was with him. During one December storm, his tent blew over, but he repitched it so he could cross another day off on his calendar. His dad kept him company during those storms and during the harsh weather. He had to get a new tent at one point. Uh, At Christmas, they decorated it. You can see pictures online at goodnewsnetwork.org of it decorated like uh, Nativity said. It's really cute. Um, He attracted national attention. He attracted international attention. Last week, he celebrated 500 consecutive nights on this adventure, but has raised more than $770,000 around the world for life-giving service of hospice. Oh, that is so awesome. It is, although I hate sleeping in tents, so this sounds awful to me. But uh, All right, our friends up north in Wisconsin, Wisconsin Town falls in love with Wayward Beach Ball, playing Where's Waldo and hiding it on local streets. 
a giant beach ball has attracted a devoted cult of followers this summer in Stoughton, Wisconsin, after the unusual new mascot rolled into town. Uh, the inflatable, since dubbed Roly Poly Olay, I think I'm getting that right, escaped the confines of its yard and soon became a source of entertainment. A Where's Waldo of behemoth beach balls bringing spontaneous happiness wherever it appeared. Olay's excursion as a neighborhood goodwill ambassador began as a fluke. Honestly, it started misplaced. Someone on the Stoughton Facebook page reached out asking if someone was missing a huge beach ball because there was one that had blown to the end of the road. And that's literally how it started. From there, people spontaneously began signing it, hiding it, moving on to different streets. What a fascinating story up there in Stoughton where people just kept going with this beach ball. Love that. All right, bring us home. Bring us home. One more for you. And I watched this the other day on Good Morning America. I shared it on Twitter. You can actually watch the video. It is a tear jerker. But a police escort who, uh, son, uh, oh, sorry, police escort son of late officer on the first day oh, of school. I so in those. Las Vegas, I know it's so amazing. Noah Swanger, nine years old, his father died away from COVID this year. The entire police force came out to escort him to school. And the video is of him. He's arriving at school and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? Why are all these newscasters mm. there? And the news had come out and the whole police force was out there and people were crying. And he started crying. It was a beautiful way to honor his dad. I can't even, t- I'm getting tears in my eyes now talking about it. But if you go to goodmorningamerica.com and on their videos, you'll find it. It is so, so powerful. Anyway, we hope these stories encourage you today as you go about your week. Sometimes, like Brian said, we just need a palate cleanser mm-hmm. when all of the world seems really hard right now, remembering that God is at work, people are doing incredible things. And um, it's okay. It will be mm-hmm. okay. I'm st- I'm going to go back to the story of the boy camping out again, Brian, because I could not sleep in a tent either. No, 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 no. But I honor him and feel like it's amazing <laughs> that he did that. And I love that his dad did it Absolutely. with him as well. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on The Common Good. We hope you'll come back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.